Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. And if you've got your Bible, let's hold them to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. If you meant that, that means you came to be changed this morning. Have you come to be changed from glory to glory to another degree of glory? We're going to talk to you this morning about the present day ministry of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want to begin by sharing with us some important scriptures that will help us get along the way. Now, if I don't get through the whole thing, there's always next week, right? But there's so much that we need to know about the present day working of Jesus as far as what he's doing for us right now with the Father's right hand, that we should all embrace it because it honors him. Amen. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And this is from the New Living Translation. This is right after the fall of man. And this is God speaking. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. He's speaking to the devil. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That was the first prophecy given about our redemption. Okay, secondly, look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Once again, New Living Translation. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. Remember, seed of woman? Born of a woman, subject to the law. So that time came. And then thirdly, in Hebrews 2, verses 14, 15, New Living Translation. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood, why? For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So you put those three scriptures together and what we discover is this. 4,000 years of preparation it took to qualify Jesus, the Son of God, to come into the earth. The time came and he did come. He, and he came for one, one reason, and that's one reason only, to redeem us from our fallen state and reconcile us back to God and break the power of Satan that he held over the lives of all human beings. That's what he came to do. Well, his name was Jesus. He did the work. Mission accomplished. Can you say amen? And we just celebrated the resurrection, didn't we? Of our Lord. And so we thank him for that. But look at John's gospel, chapter 17. Even though his ministry on earth was fulfilled when redemption was complete, it doesn't mean he has stopped ministering for us or stopped working for us. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Notice he finished it. Notice he called it finished before he went to the cross because God always calls things that be not as though they were. 
And now, O Father, glorify thou me. Uh, young people, you may be dismissed. Fifth to the eighth grade class, if I forgot to dismiss you, you can be dismissed. Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the, found it, before the world was. So now Jesus finished the work that he was given to do when he came to the earth, which is break the power of Satan from over people's lives and redeem us and reconcile us back to God. But that doesn't mean that his ministry has ended. He is still ministering for us. As a matter of fact, there are three views that we want to look at briefly before we talk about his present day ministry at the right hand of the Father. And the first view that we have of Jesus, you see him as the lowly man of Galilee who was rejected of men. In John's Gospel chapter 1 and verse 11, he came to his own, look at this, and his own received him not. He was rejected by his own people when he showed up on the scene as a seed of the woman to do the work that God called him to do. Now how heartbreaking is that? You come to your own people and you expect a good reception. What does he get? Rejection. A man of sorrows and equated with grief, etc. But then secondly, the second view that we have of Jesus is he was the son who was made sin for us on Calvary's cross and abandoned by the Father. Remember he cried out and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So imagine, rejected of men, man of sorrows, those that said, Hosanna said, crucify him. Then on the cross, he's the son of God and the son of man who's made sin for us, abandoned by the father. Why have you forsaken me? Second Corinthians 5.21 makes that very clear. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So those are the two views that we have. And basically, those are the two views that most people really look at and really understand. When it comes to the third view, for some reason, I think the church has really failed to major in this aspect of the ministry of Jesus at the right hand of God. But we're going to talk about it today and share with us important truths about this ministry of Jesus that we all need to be aware of. Okay, number three, the third view is... We have Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and he's exalted in this exalted position and he's been given a name above every other name. In the book of Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, New Living Translation says this, therefore, and why is the therefore therefore? It's therefore because it's said prior to this, he became a man, he was a son of God, but he became a man, robed himself in flesh, humbled himself to become a servant and then he went to a cross where he suffered the death of the cross by crucifixion. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of what? Highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is the resurrected, exalted King of kings and Lord of lords at the Father's right hand with a name above any other name in all three realms that every other name will bow before one day. I'd rather bow now than later. What about you? All right. Well, we see him rejected. We know he was rejected. We see he became sin. We know that he took our place. 
But do we see him as the exalted one seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the one who was the conqueror over death, hell, and the grave, who broke the power of Satan, who entered into the strong man's house, bound him up, took his goods, and praise God, he got back all authority in heaven and earth, and it all belongs to him. He said, go into the world and preach, because all power and authority has been given to me. I got back what Adam lost. Amen. Okay, so now that he's exalted, now that he's exceeding, at, he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, he's not just eating bonbons. He's not sipping on a cup of tea. His ministry has not ended at all. For 2,000 years, he has still been at work for the believer, working for us at the Father's right hand, doing great things for each and every one of us that we all need to be aware of. So we're going to look at five different aspects of his present day ministry at the Father's right hand. Why? So we can deeply appreciate who he is and all that he's done for us. Beloved, this has nothing to do with religion at all. We are not a religious church or religious people. We have a relationship with the living God. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High God washed in the blood of the Lamb. Religion won't save you, but the Son of God will. Can you say amen? All right, number one, he is the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant. Hebrews 2, 17, 18. Look at the verses. Now remember, he's, in chapter 1, he talked about how Jesus was the one who spoke to us in these last days, how Jesus was exalted. He had a coronation service, and how the angels were told to bow down before him and, and minister and worship him, okay? So now, where, and then also, right before these verses, it says that what? He destroyed the power of Satan, the power of death, he broke it. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful, what? high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself had suffered being tempted he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. So Jesus right now holds the position of the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. What was the primary function of the high priest in the Old Testament? The main and primary function was to enter into the uh, holy of holies on the day of atonement and offered up the blood of sacrificial animals. Why? To cover up the sins of Israel for one year. That was the primary function of the high priest. The main function of the high priest. Well thank God we have a high priest. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 tells us about our high priest of a different order. Not the Levitical priesthood but the order of Melchizedek. And this high priest praise God entered into the holiest place not on earth but in heaven. When he carried his blood into, into the heavenly presence of God and offered it on the sacrifice that, and cleansed all the utensils of worship. Look what it says. Neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once to the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. There was a time in history when the son of God was raised up from the dead and carried his blood to the high court of heaven like the Old Testament high priest of old on the old covenant and took that blood and did what was necessary to reconcile God and man. And as the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant, praise God, he is seated there representing us at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what's he doing? Look at some of these verses. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Just as the high priest did this in the Old Testament, so Jesus does it now. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. 
We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. What's he talking about? Man pitched the earthly one, but God has the heavenly one. He's not the one that's ministering of the holy things in the earthly one. He's the one that's ministering for us there in the holy one. And so he is the minister of the holy things of God there at the throne. And that's his function as the high priest. Well, look at this one. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Now notice how important this is. I was talking about this on Wednesday nights. This is so, so important. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of what? Of what? Of our confession. He's the high priest of what we say. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, look how important this is. Our confession before God is a holy thing. Did you know that? Boy, that was real quiet. Whoo! Our confession is a holy thing in the presence of God. Did you realize that? Because look at this. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. Think about that statement. What we are declaring, what we are saying, he's the high priest of. And so one day, you know what some people are going to hear? One day people are going to hear, the, Jesus said to the Father, Father, you see Bill down there? He confessed me among men. I'm confessing him as one of ours. Then you're going to have, uh, I'll just say John Doe. Should I just say Doe? Leave John out? Some will be there waiting eternal judgment. Father, look over to Jesus. Jesus will say, Doe here? Many people wanted him to tell them about me. But he said he didn't need me. He said he could do it on his own. He said he was good enough. He followed the golden rule. He was religious. But he never confessed me before men. He denied me. He said he didn't need me as his savior. So father, I have to deny him. Whew. Oh my. Do you need him? We sang the song, do we need him? Oh yes, we need him. We have to confess him as Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or confession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted as like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are we looking for mercy? Are we looking for grace? When we think that God doesn't know what we're going through or how he feels this way or that way about us, let me tell you something right now. You have got a high priest eternally in the heavens. He is seated by the Father and when you hurt, he is telling the Father they hurt. He's, he knows the feeling of your infirmities. He's saying, I know what they're going through. I went through it, Father. I know what they're going through. So boldly we could enter the throne of Almighty God to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need because we have a faithful high priest who is there. So he is functioning in this high priestly office right now and he's been doing it for 2,000 years because he qualified to be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Praise God. So thank God for the high priest that we have. And there's so much more we can say about that. But there's not enough time. Secondly, he is also our mediator. 
He is our mediator, our go-between. Man needed a mediator because of his fall. He had no way to get back to God and God could not get to man. So man had a big dilemma. And what was that dilemma? He's going to spend eternity separated from God in a lake of fire because he has no way to get back to God. It's almost like this. God's over here and man's over there. And there's a 5,000 foot drop in between them and man's effort to come to get to God, he cannot do that. And God cannot legally get over and get to man because he's bound by his word and covenant. He's a holy God. Man is sinful because of the fall of man, because of what Adam did. So now someone has to qualify to bridge the gap between God and man and bring them together in reconciliation. But the problem is that there's no one on earth that can do that. Think about it. Who can do it? Now today we hear people saying, oh, there are more ways than one to get to God. Oh, really? Okay, well, let's think this through. In order for reconciliation to take place, someone has to be the perfect representative of both God and man. Is there any man born of Adam who is without sin? You qualify. Anyone here today? What about all the religious leaders that we hear about today? Are, do they qualify? No. Because what are the qualifications? Jesus is the only. Look at 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. Jesus is the only qualified one to be the mediator between God and man. For there is one God and many mediators. Just want to make sure you're up. And one mediator between God and man, the man. Everybody say the man. Jesus is the man. So if someone ever calls you the man, you make sure you say, no, I'm not the man. Jesus is the man. Why does it emphasize the man? Because you cannot get to God any other way by any other means. And he is the man who is qualified for two important reasons. Because of what he is and because of what he's done. Because of what he is. Well, what is he? Look in John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. He is the union of deity and humanity. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, my question is, was the word God? Look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh. And the word, the second person of deity was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the, to qualify, you have to be 100% God and 100% man to bridge the gap between God and man. So if someone's going to build a bridge between God and sinful man, he has got to be 100% God, 100% man. Well, look in the book of Philippians once again, in chapter 2, and look at verses 6 through 8 in the New Living Translation. Though he was God, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. To qualify to bridge the gap between God and man, he had to be 100% God and he was, and 100% man and he was. See, this took an incarnation he was born of the virgin. It took a crucifixion. This took 
a burial and then a resurrection. So Jesus qualifies because as God and as man in one he went to a cross where he suffered and died taking our place and then took our penalty for our sin upon himself and was raised up from the dead and when he was praise God that's when God highly exalted him and gave him the position of the high priest of the new covenant but now the mediator of a better covenant established upon better promises. So he is the only go between. You cannot get to God. Sinful man cannot get to God any other way. So number one, in his high priestly ministry, what does he do? He makes salvation possible to the whole world. Okay? But sinful man still needs a mediator to get back to God. And on earth we have all these other ways that people think are okay. There's many roads that lead to God. There's many, no, no. In John 14, 6, Jesus said that he was the only way, right? Okay, so for this man to be right with God, to be reconciled with God, there had to be a reconciliation between both God and man. So who can reconcile us back to God? Can, can any apostles reconcile us back to God? No. Can any religious figure on earth reconcile us back to God? No, but look in the book of Colossians in chapter 1 and, and look at verse uh, 19 I believe it is. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So number one, what qualifies him is the fact that he was the God man, the union between God and man. Number two, because of what he did. Well what did he do? And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself by, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled. Who is he? He's the God man. The union of deity and humanity. What did he do? Reconciled us to God in the body of his flesh through death to present you a half-baked Christian. A barely getting along believer. To present you what? Holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So if I'm on this side of that gulf and I say I need to get to God and I say, I'm coming by my own good works and efforts. Whoosh, I'm down in the pit. If I'm saying I'm coming because of my religious service, whoosh, I'm down in the pit. If I say I'm coming to you because my grandma looks so good, whoosh, I'm down in the pit. But I feed the poor. I'm down in the pit. I don't hurt anybody. I'm down in the pit. I need a mediator because everything I do puts me in the pit. John 14, 6, throw it up. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man, how many men? No man comes to the Father but by me. Oh, hallelujah. We have, every sinner has a mediator. He's already been our mediator. 
He mediated for us, did he not? He was our go-between, so praise God. So when there's that pit that's over here, it's a 5,000 foot drop, it ends in the lake of fire, and I stand on this side, God's on that side, and I say, Father, I am coming to you. I'm not coming by my good works. I'm not coming by my good looks. I'm not coming by the wealth that I have. I'm not coming by my, my, the things that I've done on this earth. I'm not coming because I have fed the poor, clothed the naked, and, and did whatever I did. I am coming by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross for my redemption. I'm coming. He's the only way, truth, and life. Father God, I'm coming to you and praise God. I was reconciled and there's the bridge. I walk right across and he receives me unto himself. Hallelujah. You could take any sinner that's out there right now and say you, you have a mediator. A mediator between yourself and the living God. All you got to do is take the bridge. Walk across the gap. Jesus did it all. He's your mediator. And he's functioning right now, saving people every single day. Hallelujah. Next, he is our intercessor. Now the world needs a high priest to offer salvation, right? Number two, every sinner needs a mediator so that Jesus can introduce us to the Father and we can become saved. Well, are you saved now? Have you crossed the bridge? Have you crossed the gap? You're born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now guess what? We all need an intercessor. Look at Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession. What's he doing at the right hand of God? Making intercession for whom? For us. Okay, there's two reasons why we need his intercessor, his ministry of intercessor at the right hand of the majesty on high. The first one is because I don't know about you, but I've noticed while I'm living in this body, eh, I can stumble and fall. Have you dis discovered that? That spiritual growth and development does not take place overnight. It takes time to renew our minds. It takes time to present our bodies. It takes, it takes time to get into the presence of God and say, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do with my life? How do you want me to live my life, etc., etc.? And along the way, can we not stumble? Can we not fall? Aren't you glad that while you're stumbling, while you're falling, that you've got an intercessor taking you up by the hand, presenting you to the Father, and lifting you up and just saying, come on, we can do it. Come on. It's like you're taking your, your nine-month, ten-month, eleven-month-old baby, and you're trying to walk and take that first step and then tumble and fall. And you walk over and say, come on, honey, you can do it. Come on, honey, you can do it. We've got Jesus at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is ever living to pray for every single one of us so that we make it all the way, praise God, so that we can change from glory to glory. Second reason why we need our intercessor at the right hand of God. Have you noticed there's a devil in the world? Anybody notice that? And we are his target of attack. He wants to stir up persecution against us. He wants to get us to do things that are wrong. He wants to sift us as we to try to separate us from our faith to determine whether or not we are true believers in Christ. He'll do everything in his power to get us off the path that we're on to get us down to the wrong path, including causing storms like waves of the sea and wind that's blowing when Peter was not walking on the water. Okay, so because we, he knows we have this, he will pray for us as he did for Peter. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Look at Hebrews 7.22, or 7.25 rather. Wherefore he is able also to save them 
to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Oh, somebody say amen. amen. He is ever interceding to the Father for his children. Jesus is ever petitioning the Father on our behalf. To, to really to save us, to help us, to do whatever he can. So he is praying like he prayed for Peter. Peter, I pray for you. I pray that your faith fail not, Peter. And then when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. And so Jesus is at the Father's right hand as our intercessor. He's high priest. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. And I'm telling you, you talk about the appropriate song that was sung here today. And the songs basically that were sung as well. He'll carry you in the sand. He's been down the path for you. He is faithful. He's merciful. He's tasted what you're going through. And so therefore, he looks over to the Father and prays for all of us. Since you've been born again, you need an intercessor. And I can't think of a better one than him. How about you? Next one, you need an advocate. And so do I. Look at 1 John uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children... These things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. His fourth ministry is that of being our advocate. What's an advocate? Someone that supports you and someone who pleads your case. Right? I remember when uh, Krista and I were in the hospital with Andrew. As a matter of fact, I wasn't there on this occasion. But Krista called me and told me after it occurred. She said one of the nurses came in. It was like 9 o'clock in the evening to give him his nightly shot. And she said I was just sitting there kind of wondering, you know, pretty tired. Not getting much sleep. Sleeping in a chair is not for two weeks isn't like something you want to do. She said, but when I finally came to myself, I said, wait a minute. What shot are you talking about? Because he's never had a shot in the evening. Oh, yeah, it's right here on the report. He needs to get a shot right now. She said, ma'am, he's never got a shot in the evening. This would be the first time ever. And so the nurse got a little bit kind of flustered, I guess. And she says, well, I'll go double check. And so she leaves. Sometime later, another nurse comes back and my wife says, well, what's going on with this shot? She said, well, she was embarrassed to come back because that shot was for somebody else, not for your son. Krista played the part of a advocate. She had to be his advocate. Why? He can't speak for himself. He can't act for himself. Well, guess what? You and I have an advocate. An advocate is one who supports us and pleads our case. And in this context, he's saying that when you and I miss the mark, when you and I sin, now he said, now don't sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father who is there to plead your case. Okay? You've been washed in the blood, but look at, let's throw this up. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Aren't you glad for the waterfalls of the blood of the lamb that cleanses us continuously every day from all sin? Now, if we say we have no sin, that is when we sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sin, what is the condition? If we confess our sin when we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we have an advocate with the Father who's there to support us and plead our case. And so if you and I say, yes, Lord, I shouldn't have gotten angry and sinned. I shouldn't have done what I did. It was wrong. I'm asking you to forgive me for my behavior, for my actions. The Father looks over and sees us. And of course, we were affected by the sin that we committed. And what does he do? Jesus, what do you say? Father, I'm his advocate. I'm his lawyer. I'm here to plead his case. I want you to know that yes, I've washed him in my blood. And yes, he did miss the mark. And he missed the mark. And as a result of him missing the mark, I realize, you know, what's happened to his life. But Father, I shed my blood for him on Calvary. Not just for one sin, but all the sins he'll ever commit from now throughout eternity. And so therefore, Father, by my blood, forgive him. And the Father is faithful to the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness contingent upon the fact that we do what? We confess it. It means identify with it. I'm so sorry, Lord. I've hurt you. I've hurt maybe somebody, my brother, my sister, or whoever I hurt, but I, I, I don't want that on me. You know, we can have guilt and condemnation in our lives if we don't get cleansed from all unrighteousness. You realize that? And when we do miss the mark, the devil will use that to put guilt and just heap it upon us and make you look like you're, you're not really a great Christian, etc. But you know what? Thank God you have an advocate. Thank God you got somebody pleading your case before the throne of God and now you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Look at the next one. And this one is so essential. I love this. Anybody here ever go and buy yourself a, an item that maybe cost a, a little bit of money. And so in order to see to it that you didn't waste your hard-earned money, you got a guarantee. Anybody ever do that? Sometimes we say that the, the, the warranty or the guarantee is too much. I don't want to put it out. But um, you've heard products that are advertised money-back guarantee. Uh, you buy a car and you've got a guarantee, you've got a warranty on that car that if something goes wrong, which is an incentive for you to buy it, right? Absolutely. And then they'll try to sell you the additional, which I'm not into that very much, I don't know about you, uh, warranty, because it costs as much as the car practically. You buy yourself a new car by the time you do that. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Isn't it good to know that you have a warranty on the product? Isn't it good to know that you have a money-back guarantee on the product? And if anything goes wrong with it within the first year of you owning it, you get your money back. How many of you would rather buy it that way? Than to say, drop it, break it, you're out. All right. Look in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. What is Jesus now? Our surety. Our guarantee. In other words, he's the guarantee that stands behind every promise and every statement of fact. And as you see the definition here that I provided for you, he is the one who guarantees the 
it's a form of prop, promise that is made that certain conditions will be fulfilled. So in other words, what he's telling us is this. You can know the outcome in advance because you have a surety. You have a guarantee. He stands behind every word of the new and everlasting covenant. So if we could visualize this, he's our high priest, he's our mediator, he's our intercessor, he's our advocate at the right hand of God. Now he stands as the guarantee that any promise of God that was made will be fulfilled. He guarantees it. Now there are some that you might not take, you know, to believing if they say that they're your guarantee. But when it comes to Christ, and you know he's your guarantee, then he stands behind every word and every promise of God. So let's go to the book of Hebrews once again. You will notice how this is all strategically put together in the book of Hebrews to help us distinguish between the ending of the Old Testament or covenant and the installation of the New Testament or, or covenant that we have with God. And as long as the first one was standing, then we had no access to God. But now that Jesus came and did what he did, we have access to God and we have a new covenant with better promises. When God made promise to Abraham, which was before the law, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Remember it says in Romans chapter 4, Abraham believed according to the promise that God made. So God swore by himself. I'd like to see that. Abraham, I swear by me. You see anybody higher than I am? I swear by me. You see me? I swear by me. Saying, surely, blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. There was a time when there was integrity. There was a time when there was trustworthiness. There was a time in our society you can shake a man's hand and you can believe it would be done. And I still believe that there are some that are that way today. Don't you? But for the most part, a lot of that is missing, wouldn't you say? I don't need to sign an ink. Just shake my hand. Tell me that you'll do it. And I believe you. Well, wherein God willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. He, in other words, made an oath. And he confirmed this oath in the blood of his son. In the Old Testament, it was animal blood. In the New Testament, it's the blood of his son. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible. Everybody say impossible. For God to lie. We might have a strong consolation or faith who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have. This is so important. As an anchor for the soul. The soul wants to go with the wind and the waves. But the soul to be anchored has got to be anchored on this truth. I have a guarantee. I have a surety. Which hope we have is an anchor for, of the soul both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know what that is saying? Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of the majesty on high. And when you say, Father, you promised to strengthen me. Jesus is the guarantee he'll strengthen you. If you say, Jesus, you promised to heal me. 
If you say, Father, you promised to heal me, he's the guarantee that you're healed. You said you would provide for my every need. He's the guarantee he'll provide your need. You say, I need help financially. He's the guarantee he supply your need according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus because he is the guarantee of the new and everlasting covenant. It's impossible for God to lie. Listen to this. Let's just say uh, you mothers out there have a wonderful relationship with your daughter. And today you promised her that on next Saturday you are going to buy her a new dress. Anyone want to commit? You want to commit? Anyone? I'll buy my daughter a new dress by Saturday until you tell her that Saturday. You realize that you and I have a better reason to believe that God will meet our need more so than that daughter has to believe that her mother will buy her that dress on Saturday? You say, how can you say that? She loves her daughter. She will buy it. I know. But she's human. Number one, she could lie. Number two, she can die. Number three, she can lose her job. She could get fired. She might, number four or five, what am I on? Six, whatever it might be. She might be one of those that hides her money under the mattress. And a fire broke out and burned up all her money and the money's gone. And as badly as she wants to buy the dress on Saturday, she doesn't have any money. She lost her job and praise God she didn't die. Could all those things happen to her? They could, Right? We live in an imperfect world, don't we? But if God said, if God said I supply your need, if God said I'll give you the money on Saturday, if he said that on Sunday and Saturday's not here yet, you can rest assured that you have an ironclad guarantee because God can't lie, God can't die, God's not going to lose his money, he's not going to lose his home, his, his place is not going to burn up, there's nothing that burns in it. Amen? Can you say amen? You've got a better reason to believe because you've got a guarantee of the new and everlasting covenant. And his name is Jesus. It's an anchor for the soul. You see, that's the problem with all of us, myself included. Our soul needs anchored. It needs anchored. And the only way can, that can happen, learn to know your surety. The one who guarantees. So in conclusion, Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate. He is our surety, our guarantee. You know what that means? Because he's at the right hand of God right now. That salvation is offered to the world, high priest. And if you want to know him, you have a mediator. Just come up. And through Jesus you can know him. He's the way. And we've done that, haven't we? Now we enjoy his intercession. Because along the way he's going to pray for us. He's going to help us to rise up and fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives. He is our advocate. If we sin, miss the mark. Thank God it's not over. Thank God the blood of Jesus. He'll take up our case. He'll plead our cause. Can you say amen? amen. And then finally, he is the surety. You ready for this one? You have hopes of heaven and glory. He is the surety that when your body and my body, if he should tarry his coming, goes back to the grave, you've got a guarantee, praise God, that he is going to bring you up out of that grave. He's going to take your body that's been probably decomposed, and praise God, it will be raised up a new glorious body like his. And you've got a guarantee. Come on up here, praise and worship. You've got a guarantee. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? 
Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It's our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.